welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are in for a great time this morning. Up to part seven, everyone say seven. Part seven of our relationship series. In actual fact, this is the last day of our relationship series. Who's got something out of it so far? Who's been blessed? Who's been encouraged? Who's been helped? Who's been challenged? Who wishes they'd never heard this series because it's kind of caused a little bit of friction at home? How many of you had to endure men? How many of you men, married men, have had to endure your wife saying, you know, like they said on Sunday, you should have this. Or maybe some of the married ladies here have had to endure their husbands saying a similar sort of thing because of what was said from up here. No, no, good, 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 good. I want you to know the heart behind everything we ever share is to bring glory to God, obviously, but also present it in such a way that is practical and helpful. It's no good us standing up here sharing something that's deep and profound, but no one actually gets it or we don't know how to apply it to our lives. And so we work really hard as a preaching team to present truth in a way that you can go home and put it into practice on a weekly basis. And so we've looked at a whole heap of things so far. When it comes to our sweet relationship series, we've looked at sweet foundations, sweet resolutions, sweet talk, sweet love. Last week, says spoke on sweet forgiveness, and in the evening, Pete spoke on sweet boundaries. Uh, tonight, I'm speaking on sweet sex. So you don't want to miss out on that one. But this morning, I want to speak to you about sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Turn to the person next to you and say, sweet dreams. But don't go to sleep. All right. I looked up the word dream in the dictionary and it simply means a series of thoughts, images and sensations occurring in a person's mind during sleep. It also says a cherished aspiration, ambition or ideal. For example, I fulfilled a childhood dream when I became a champion. Or I got the girl of my dreams. And it's this second meaning that I want to speak about this morning. A cherished aspiration, ambition, or ideal, or a preferred future. See, I could talk to you this morning a lot about dreams, but I want to keep it in the context of our series, and it's a series about relationships. And I believe that our dreams are incredibly important when it comes to our relationships. How we view the future has a major impact on the relationships that we keep. Are you following this this morning? You need to have sweet dreams, I believe, in order to have sweet relationships. And so this morning, I want to look at some things that will help prevent those dreams from becoming nightmares. 
And I just want to look at four things very quickly this morning that will hopefully keep us on track in accordance with our dreams. And the first thing this morning is simply this, that when it comes to our dreams in the context of relationships, you've got to dream big. Everyone say dream big. You've got to dream big. Too many people I come in contact with have small dreams, if any dream at all. Here's the thing, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Have you noticed that? And granted, that'll take some pressure off if you have no goals and no dreams and no aspirations. Yeah, you'll, you'll hit that target every time. But there's something about having a big dream. Oh, I love it. I, I love it when, when young men dream big and, and then they, they look at some girl that's far out of her league. I love it. And you see them, they do the best. They do their hair. They, they, I was going to say they do their makeup. They don't do their makeup. They put on all the aftershave and they try their best to woo the girl of their dreams. And you know what? Even if nothing comes of it, oh, I love the guy for having a go. I'm going to back the underdog every day of the week. You got, you got to have a go. You got to dream big, far better that than just give up on life. I think the whole world's against you and you pick up a can of worms and start eating it. You've got to dream big. Why? Because we have a big God. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably. Immeasurably in the Greek means cannot be measured. You like that? It's deep, huh? immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We serve a big God and we live in a big world that needs big help. You know that? And if your dreams only revolve around you and yours, your dreams are too small. They're too small. If you're a young man wanting to get a partner in life, a young lady and and marry her so you can have a happy family, it's too small. And I would encourage any young lady that comes in contact with a man who has a dream like that to to leave him right alone. You don't want to marry someone with such small aspirations for you. He's going to hold you back. He's going to to bring you down. You You want to marry someone who understands the purpose of marriage. You want to marry someone who has big plans and big dreams and doesn't just make it all about you. I mean, I love family. I do. We've got three fantastic kids. We've got uh, aunties and uncles. We've got mums and dads. We've got brothers and sisters. We've got nieces and nephews. I love family. I really do. But you know what? My role of my life doesn't just revolve around that. Thank God for all of it. But we've got to have a bigger dream than, than just that. To get married so that you can buy a home and do the garden up and build a pergola and maybe, maybe, just maybe put a pool in the backyard and get a dog, maybe a cat. 
white picket fence. Say, ta-da! Are you kidding me? Like, do you really think that God has placed us here to stop there? I mean, really? When we make marriage just about me and my, that I can have someone to deal with my loneliness or my sexual temptation or we're so limiting the purpose to God's intention when it comes to marriage. And I believe that so many relationships go sour because we, we, we make relationships too small. And relationships are the platform for big things, not just small things. And I really do believe much of the counselling that we've had to do over the years comes down to people not having a dream, not having something bigger than themselves, not having something bigger than their own marriage. And so as a result, all they've got is each other to argue with and to pick on and to try and change them. And we make the dream and the goal to change our partner. No wonder there's so many marriages that are falling apart. I believe we need a big vision. Marriage is not just for you. Marriage is an incredible opportunity for us to double our influence. Adam was having the time of his life in the Garden of Eden with God. But God said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates this helper for him. Not just a bed partner, not just someone to cook the meals and wash the dishes, although that's very, very helpful and thank you, honey. But if that's the full stop, I mean, there's got to be something more. I mean, why would you want that? But a suitable helper. And together, Adam and Eve went around and established their authority on the earth. I see marriage as, as, as two single people coming together and becoming a dynamic duo like Batman and Robin or, or Superman and Wonder Woman. I mean, it's kind of like that. And if you get the house and if you get the car and if you get the white picket fence and, and you get the dog and you get the cat and you forget to feed, it doesn't really matter. Cats will look after themselves. That's what I've learned. See, we have been put here for purpose, on purpose. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are God's workmanship. Don't ever put yourself down. Don't ever say you're rubbish. Don't ever say you're a loser. Don't ever say you're garbage. God made you. God doesn't make junk. When I have a high opinion of myself, people think I'm being big-headed. No, I'm just, I just know that God doesn't make rubbish. I'm awesome because God only makes awesome. I'm not being big-headed. I just had a revelation of what God has made. You need that same revelation. You need to look in the mirror and say, God doesn't make junk. He doesn't. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, you've got to catch this. See, essentially, your dreams 
must come into line with God's dreams for us. This notion that you can be whatever you want to be. No, you can't. If I could be anything I wanted to be, I would be a rock star. I would. Here's, there's only one small problem. Just a little one. Just a little thing. Can't sing. You can't be anything you want. But you can be anything God has called you to be. You can be anything that God has called you to be. God has wired you a certain way. God has created you a certain way. God has made you a certain way. God has given you strengths and gifts and skill sets for a purpose. And we need to tap into God's purpose for our lives. One of the missing ingredients in most relationships, there is no purpose. There is no meaning. There's no driving force behind why they are together. And so we put an emphasis upon marriage that God never intended and it causes cracks. God wanted us to get together to get on with our purpose. God wants us to have kids to increase our influence and get on with our purpose. Are you catching this today? Every gift is for a purpose. The gift of education, the gift of the arts, the gift of sport. It's not just for you. It's too small. There's a purpose behind why you can do what you can do. There's a purpose behind why you are good at what you are good at. And it's not for you to build your kingdom. It's for you to build God's kingdom. There's some incredible things that we can do to serve God when we find our purpose. We are here to have influence and make a difference in the world in which you live. Your kids are not just for you. I love our kids and I enjoy them very much. But God has given us our kids for a purpose. And in its simplest, purest form, one of those reasons that God has given us kids is to show the world what the love of God looks like in the way we parent them. Do you know that? There's a whole heap of other reasons, but essentially, if if for nothing else, the way I parent my kids can be an incredible example of what the love of God looks like if I get it right. They're not just for us. There's something so much bigger gives me an opportunity to model what discipleship looks like, the way I parent our kids. See, we don't want good kids just so that they make your life easier. That's not the point. The point is we want to be able to show the world that what putting the principles of God into practice looks like. And so we become a light. And we become letters written for everyone to see. And it's not because we're great parents, it's just that we have a great book, the Bible, that helps us. I hope you're catching this. You will not have a sweet relationship if you marry a small thinking, no hoper. You won't. Your life will be reduced to smallness and that will cause frustration in and of itself and the cracks will begin 
to show. So dream big. Secondly, dream time. If we're going to have sweet relationships, we need some dream time. I often ask people, what's your dream? And they say, I don't know. Or their answer might be so shallow and superficial, it's hardly worth mentioning. And the reason is, it's because we're too busy. You've got to take time and create time in your busy world to dream. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Some of you are just going to have to get up. Turn to the person next to you and say, get up. He left the house. There's something in leaving the house. I love our house. I love our home. But oh, at times, there's too many distractions. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. To nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I've come. Jesus made time to pray. He made time to dream. And the result of that time that he made, get this, meant that he knew where he should be. He knew where he should go. I mean, just think about it for a minute. Jesus is in a certain town doing some incredible things, healing people. You wouldn't want him to leave, would you? And Jesus says, I'm off. Knowing he's going to break their hearts, knowing that he's going to be misunderstood, he leaves anyway. Where does that confidence come from? He'd made time to be with God. He made time to dream and to think and to reflect and to meditate. See, it's not just about conjuring up a new dream every time you do that. It's about creating resolve to hold on to what God has called you to. Because there's always going to be other voices saying, come do this, come do this, come here, come here. We want you to stay longer. We want you to go, do this. And that causes confusion. There are many, many young people that we have married. And I rejoice every time. But not all of them have finished well, unfortunately. Because in the busyness of married life, and in over-mortgaging themselves, they have to go out and get more work. Instead of saying, let's have a smaller home so wifey can stay at home. No, no, you don't want to do that. That, 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 That's just old school. That's old fashioned. No, have you both out working? Better still, why not get two jobs so you can get a better home? A home that you'll never actually be in. They're all the voices. And you need time to think. Hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me take time to go back. Why did we get married? What was the dream? What was the plan? What was the purpose behind us getting married in the first place? Was it so that we would have a beautiful home where we never see each other? Was that it? And so every time Jesus withdrew, He was able to get perspective and dream again and dream clearly. And then hold on to his purpose and hold on to his resolve. 
Oh, you're going to see lots of things on television. Doesn't mean that you should have them. Doesn't mean that you need them. And when you say, hey, whoa, whoa, what's, what, what was the plan? What was the plan? Do you know any marriages that are just holding on by a thread right now? Because they didn't make time to think. They didn't make time to dream. They lost their resolve and they said yes to a whole heap of other voices. At the expense of their relationship. Jesus was able to be strong when misunderstood. And when you have a dream, you will not always be misunderstood. Dreaming 101 means you will be misunderstood. You take, for example, a young person who has a dream of marrying another young person who has kept themselves pure so that they can go into their marriage without the curse of comparison That's a great dream to have. That's an incredible dream to have. That's a biblical dream to have. Oh, but then you go into school. And you will not hear those words too often. You will be misunderstood because of your dream. You'll be mocked and ridiculed and and, and, and your your dream will be attacked. And so you've got to make time to remind yourself of the plan. And the dream behind the plan. When I walked down the aisle with Kat, I didn't promise her anything but one thing. All I promised my wife was, is I will never leave you. I said, I can't promise you riches. I sent something of the call of God in my life and I didn't know what it was in its entirety and in its specifics. I didn't know if it meant Adelaide. I didn't know if it meant another part of Australia. I didn't know if it meant the back blocks of India. I didn't know, but I knew there was something of bigness and greatness in me. And I said to Kat, I can't promise you new. I can't promise you homes. I can't promise you cats and dogs. I can't promise you flights and holidays. I can't promise you any of that. All I'll promise you is this. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I'll be with you forever. That's my dream. The fact that God has just incredibly blessed us anyway is just a bonus. And I hold on to that. And so when it gets tough, and when there's opposition, and when there are people are ridiculing and mocking, I remind myself, hang on, what, what am I here for? I said, I, I will not promise you comfort. I can't promise you comfort. I can't promise you a large shot. All I can promise you is me. Is that enough? I needed the girl I was to marry to be on the same page. And so do you. And so like Jesus, I find myself, oh, so often, I cannot tell you how many times a day I just find times that God, time to think what's really going on here. Where will this action lead me? Where will this purchase lead me? Will it lead me toward my dream or away from my dream? You've got to create time to dream. You've got to have some dream time. Thirdly, you've got to have a dream team. You've got to have people that are friends of your destiny. 
Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Oh, I've been so misunderstood on this one. People have come to me and asked, Pastor, what can I do? I want to serve God. I want to do this. I want to say, you know what? You know what? Well, I don't know what you have to do in its entirety, but I tell you this, there's a couple of guys you're hanging around. I don't know if they're that good for you. Now, here's the thing. Someone doesn't have to be a bad person for them to be bad for you. You've got to catch this. And some people have misunderstood that advice and labeled it as a cult because you're not allowed to hang around certain people. And I never said that. But there are some people that will help you in your destiny and there are some people that will hinder your destiny. I remember as a young man and Many of you have met my pastor, Paul Benithan. He spoke here last year, and you, you all loved him. You all fell in love with him. Oh, he's wonderful. What happened to Tony? But that wonderful, nice pastoral man. I never forget him pulling me aside one day and said, Tony, there's two people in your world that I think are really unhelpful at this time. And they were my two closest friends. They weren't like on the, they were the these are the ones I spent the most time with. And Paul said, I don't know what your future holds, but I sent something on your life and I feel for now. And he didn't even say forever, but just for now. The amount of time you're spending with that, those two guys is going to be unhelpful. This, I'd love to tell you that as a man of God who could see the future with clarity, responded really well. I did not respond well. I didn't get it. I didn't agree with it. I didn't like it. But then I had some dream time and thought, what do I want? Is it possible that there's someone in my world that sees a little bit clearer than me? And I'll never forget the next day, just surrendering. To this advice I didn't get. This advice I didn't like. But entrusting myself to our pastor at the time, because just maybe he saw something I didn't. It was awkward. It wasn't received well. But those two guys aren't in church today. And yet they were my closest friends at that moment in my life. There's something powerful in obedience. If you have to see everything before you act, you will never walk in your destiny. Tweet that, JT. If you have to see it and understand it first, kiss your destiny goodbye. That's even better. Put that one up. Some of our precious older people are saying, what does he keep going on about tweeting? I don't get that. doesn't matter. Ask JT. You've got to catch this. If you only move upon advice that you understand and you like and you get, kiss your destiny goodbye. You need friends of your destiny, not friends of your comfort. You need people who can come alongside and tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Someone who can inspire you and motivate you. 
I'm so grateful for my dad because he's, he's been that in my world for many, many years. And, and much of that was encouragement and much of that was comfort. But there were times when it was anything but that. Because he was more of a friend of my future and more of a friend of my destiny than just me being a mate. And he told me what I want to, or sorry, what I needed, not what I wanted to hear. When I was dating my wife for a whole eight years, thank you very much, we were engaged for three months. And in the second month of us being engaged, this girl came over from a place called Denmark and, and she was attracted to me and I was attracted to her being attracted to me. I didn't do anything per se. I never touched the girl, kissed the girl. But I flirted with her. You've got to catch this. By flirting, I mean talking and just enjoying the, I enjoyed the intention. If we can get flirting down to that, I enjoyed the extra attention. I just enjoyed it. And without kissing this girl, and without touching this girl, my dad pulled me aside one day. I'll never forget, it's in the shed. And the dad who I often go on about and, and declare my love for on a regular basis, at nauseam, I mean, you all know I love him. He tore shreds off me. Because he could see the damage it was doing to Kath, who he loved. I think he loves her more than me. <laughs> and he could see the damage it was going to do to our future. See, you don't have to see the future in its entirety to be able to stand in the gap. And he got his finger in my face. And he was like, you! I, I cannot repeat what he said because it's Sunday morning and we're in church. But this man of God used some choice words which I cannot repeat. And you're acting like a twit. And if you don't pull your head in, I'll knock it off. <laughs> when he'd finished, you've got to catch this. I don't know how you'd respond. But there's a couple ways you can respond. You can say, call yourself a Christian using all that language. That's what religious people do. They totally miss the point. They totally miss the point. That's what, that's what frustrated Jesus about the religious people. They totally missed the point. They were waiting for the Messiah, but they couldn't recognise Him. Or I can look at it for what it is. Here's a man who desperately wants the best for me. And you know what? When you're doing the wrong thing, you know it. And I remember just thinking, yeah, I've been a twit. Now, P.S., I didn't kiss her. I didn't touch her. I don't even know that I've been alone with her. Let me talk over here to the young kids. <laughs> Some of you touch every part of a woman's body. Because you haven't had sexual intercourse. I, didn't, I hadn't touched this girl. But I had someone like my dad who would say, stop it. I'm going to justify how far, 
We'll talk about that tonight. But don't try and get off on a technicality. We're talking about your future here. When you're talking about your future, don't want to mess around with your future. Stay the heck away from trouble when it comes to your future. All these Twitter marks. Get off. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked. And that's just farming language. In other words, when they would hook up a couple of oxen, they made sure they were the same weight and height. Because if you had a big ox and a little ox and try to yoke them, it's just... Mm. There's a lot of marriages that are... Mm. You don't want... Mm. You don't want that. Move. No, you move. What? Don't encourage me. I'll keep going. I'm on a roll. I just... I might not have been able to be a rock star, but I could have been a comedian. It's talking about, if you're a Christian, don't marry a non-Christian. Oh my gosh, don't do that. No matter how much intention you, you've got to her, get it done, don't do that. Don't do that. But here's another thing. You can marry a Christian as a Christian, it's still be the wrong person. If, you've got, if you're on fire and, and you want your life to count, you don't want to marry one of those nominal Christians that just goes to church occasionally and calls themselves a Christian. You don't want to be unequally yoked. Even on a very practical level, if you're a person who's getting married and you're going into the marriage, it's, it's worth knowing if the person you're about to marry wants kids or not. And if they want kids, how many? You've got to be on the same page. Amos chapter 3 verse says, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? In the message it says, Do people, two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? I don't, have you ever tried walking the same place, holding, hand, uh, holding hands and go to different places? It's a fight. It's a battle. It's a struggle. Again, I've just summarized so many marriages that I... No, you have to deal with. If you want sweet relationships, you better get on the same page. Part of my eight years of dating this girl was trying to make sure she was the right one. I overthought it, I'll be honest. <laughs> A little bit of fear crept in, absolutely, but point was, I wanted to make sure that this girl was going where I was going. The person you marry, are they about family or are they about career? It's worth sorting out. Is their view of marriage long-term or see how it goes? You better find that out. What are some of your goals that you have? Financial goals. I want to save all our money so we can go on a holiday. I want to save all our money so we can give it to missions. Bom, bom. No. <laughs> and my last one. Can I keep going a little bit longer? I've gone overtime. I keep interrupting myself. 
I don't know if anyone else is enjoying this morning, but I am. I don't think there's ever been a better preacher in the place than right here, right now, just, just doing his thing. Here's to me. I just said that because I know that's what you were thinking, right? Yeah. Number four, dream on. In other words, don't let bad experiences and hardships stop you dreaming. A failed marriage does not mean marriages don't work. A failed ministry doesn't mean ministry doesn't work. Because someone gives up on God doesn't mean Christianity doesn't work. I believe marriage is God's plan. And because it's God's plan, it works. And I have a dream. And it's that we, as husband and wife, would grow old and wrinkly together. With muscles. I don't care what anyone marriages looks like. We... I have a dream. I have a dream. I don't care how many marriages fall around him. I have a dream. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to live healed. We're not going to get bitter, we're going to get better. I have a dream. Abraham, without weakening in his faith, faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what God had promised. I love that. I have a dream that I will never lose my childlike faith. I have a dream that I will never, ever get so sophisticated, I don't lose my naive edge. Oh, I'm naive, I know. People tell me all the time, well, you wait till you grow up. And I, I'm not, if growing up means looking like most people, I, know, I don't want to grow up. I want to hold on to that teenage love that I had for Jesus, and I never want to let it go. I want to grow up, I want to get mature, but I never want to let go of that first love. I feel the same way about my wife. I don't want to lose that. I don't know what your first experience was with your wife or husband, but we had the fireworks. We had the, I'm always I'm consumed thinking about it. I don't want to lose that. And I don't have to. If I make right choices. I want a childlike faith that says, God can do anything. Beyond all I ask, dream, hope, or imagine, God can. In spite of what movement rises up and what laws get passed, God can turn it all around. With the subject that I'm going to speak on tonight, I feel alone in a sense because there's not one part of the media that I know that is supporting what I'm about to share tonight. But God can do something. 
I believe God can do something with the foolishness of a preacher's words. 2008 for me, I've shared it before, was one of the toughest years of my life. But that's not a full stop. You're not going to hear me say, 2008 was a tough year for me, full stop. Now my life's in a holding pattern. I'll acknowledge the reality of it like Abraham did. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Tony faced the fact that 2008 sucked. But did not waver in his faith through unbelief. Because I look back on 2008 and I have fond memories of 2008 because yes, it was a tough year and a hard year. But I want to tell you, the guy that's standing up here today was made in that time. I grew in that time. I see things bigger. I see things deeper. I'm a changed man for the better as a result of going through the toughest year of my life, having to stand alone and yet finding God, not in my loneliness, but being alone and finding God. I want to tell you, that did something to me. You'll never hear me ever, ever, ever say anything bad about 2008 because 2008 was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. And I give God the praise, honour and glory. And as a result, we're in a new building. I tire of pastors that are no longer serving God because what the ministry did for them. As if ministry is the enemy. And what I tire of even more than that is how it influences others not to get involved because of what the ministry did to me. Look what the ministry did to them. You don't want to do that. That's the biggest load of rubbish. Ministry doesn't do anything to people. People do. Because it's people that let go of their dreams. It's people that don't put boundaries in place. It's people that believe the lie of the enemy. Ministry doesn't do that to you. We've been going 18 years by God's grace. But I feel like Caleb, I feel like we're just starting. I feel younger and fitter and I feel better than ever before. And I feel like we're just starting. We've got another 18 years to go. And after that, we've got another 18 years to go. And I refuse to allow anything to rob me of my dream. And I refuse to buy into the lie that ministry is the enemy. If you've lost your dream, this is what I want to encourage you to do. And it's something I do on a daily basis. You've got to go back to the beginning. Don't go back to your hurt. That'll kill you every time. You've got to go back prior. Struggling to forgive someone? Don't go back to the person who let you down. That's not, that's not the beginning. This is what I've managed to do by God's grace on a daily basis. It's called dying daily. In my hurt and pain and brokenness, If this pulpit represents my hurt, I visit it and I keep walking and I go back to the beginning. You don't stop there. And I go back to the beginning. And the beginning for me is a man called Jesus, who 2,000 years ago 
paid an incredible price. Not because he did anything wrong, but because of a young schmuck like me who is vile and detestable and deserved nothing of God's forgiveness. All I deserved was death. All I deserved was hell. All I deserved was separation from God. Oh, when you start thinking like that, you're a long way from your problems now. We're where it's really at. And I think of this man, Jesus, who went to the cross, mocked, ridiculed, beaten, betrayed, abandoned. And on this cross, when people are mocking him, he's saying, forgive them. And somehow he takes a glimpse into the future and sees me. And has this resolve that if no one else comes to enjoy fellowship with me, I'm going to do it for Tony. He doesn't deserve it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's love. You get your heart saturated with that. You look at your problem totally different. You no longer feel the same way about that issue. You no longer feel the same way about that person. If you're living with unforgiveness in your heart, you haven't gone back far enough. You've forgotten the height from which you've fallen. You've forgotten. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten. You've totally forgotten what Jesus has done for you. That's why I do not believe you can be a Christian and not go to church. You can't. Because the reason people don't go to church is because they're hurt. They're allowing hurt to keep them away from church and then say, I'm I'm fine with God. No, you're not. You can't be. Because when you're right with God, you're right with the world. When you're right with Jesus, you are right with the whole world. At least you're at peace with them. You know the coolest thing about 18 years is not this. This is cool. I like it. I do. Especially seeing myself up there. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Trouble is, when I go look at myself, I... I... (laughs) It's cool. But that's not the cool bit. But it's pretty cool. But it's not the cool bit. Here's the cool bit. And this is the coolest thing about this church. It's that I can stand before you, and more importantly before God, and tell you absolutely, categorically, 100%, that I'm at peace with everyone. There's a lot of people who aren't at peace with me right now. Can't do anything about that. But I can do something about me. And it starts with me going past my problem and going back to the beginning. The writer of Hebrews says, Don't you remember those early days where you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property? Now you're you're wanting to give up? Where'd that guy go? Got to go back to the beginning. The Pharisees came to Jesus one day, swaggering. And they said, Jesus, if God's against divorce, why did he give 
Moses the permission to have a certificate of divorce. Huh? I think they've got him. And Jesus just looks at them. Probably with a tear in his eye, says, ah, that's easy. The reason God did that for Moses is because the people's hearts were hard. And then he says this, but in the beginning it wasn't like that. Jesus takes them straight back to the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, he said, husband and wife shall become one flesh. If you want to live healed, you can't go back to your hurt. You've got to go back to the healer. You've got to go back to the beginning. Everything has its beginning. Get this, this is deep. Tweet this. Everything has its beginning at the beginning. Hey, I know there's a whole heap of confusion about sexuality and, and, and I like guys, I like boys, I like girls. I, I get it. It's a, it's a very real issue we're facing. But it wasn't like that in the beginning. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. In the beginning. All the answers are found in the beginning. We have to deal with very real issues today, absolutely. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. We, we'll look at them. But the answers are found by going back to the beginning. God's original plan God's plan for the church was that she would be a light and display the love of God we can do that and we can certainly display the forgiveness of God we get offended all the time we can certainly display the forgiveness of God that's the purpose that just as Jesus showed the world what the Father looked like we have the privilege of showing the world what Jesus looked like That's that's the purpose of the church it's not about this. It's not about hymns or new modern contemporary. It's about showing the world what Jesus looks like. And so while we argue about whether hymns are uh, outdated and, and modern songs are, are of the devil, and dr- we're missing the point. We're meant to show the world what Jesus looked like. And Jesus never got into that stuff. Jesus loved and forgave and helped and, and took people back to the beginning. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.